We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast, and I'm Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot and Paul will be talking about the 1-1 draw away to Manchester United, which made Jose Mourinho very unhappy, which is good. Um, so yeah, enjoy the podcast, back after PSG, and uh, hopefully we will um, qualify as group winners. That would be nice. But um, yeah, we'll see. Until then... Arson out Mourinho's Jose as Arsenal steal a point at Old Trafford. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Um, Tim steadfastly refused to come on this pod. Uh, he said, Arson out. He said, I'm done with Arsenal. I'm just going to support Brazilian football teams from now on. I'm done with it, and that's the end. And so it's, it's crazy, but that's the end of Tim as an Arsenal fan. Really unexpected, but at least uh, Paul is still here. You can find Paul on Twitter at Positive My Pants. Hello, Paul. Goal Gallo. Yeah, exactly. He's everyone's a Gallo fan now. No, I'm kidding. Of course, Tim is on his way to Paris. Um, to nope, nope, that's wrong. Paris coming <laughs> Arsenal. Why isn't Tim on the pod today? Uh, he didn't fucking feel like it. Okay, fair enough. Um, <clears throat> we're gonna talk about the one-one draw the dire 1-1 draw at Old Trafford. And, and you know, sometimes when you steal a point late, you come away feeling kind of exuberant about the result. I don't think that's how I felt at the end. Uh, Paul, we'll get to how you felt uh, after the podcast <laughs> is over. Yeah. But 
Um, okay, so let's start with this. It is now pretty clear that for whatever reason, um, the manager doesn't know if he can trust Granite Shaka. And even in his comments after the match, he said, I picked a midfield that I felt had the strength and experience to handle the occasion. Um, do you think that there is something wrong with Shaka's relationship with the manager, Shaka's situation at the club? Um, why is it that this $35 million Cadillac of a midfielder is not being picked in key spots? Look, I know Brexit is going bad, but I think it's actually 34 or 5 million quid and okay. still lots of dollars. But anyway, yeah. oh, wait, did I point. say dollars? Uh, okay, yeah. well, you know what? Pretty soon it's going to be about the same thing. Yeah. We're all, we're all going to be uh, using Canadian currency pretty soon. Touche. Um, well, it would be touche if I gave a shite, but I don't. Um, so Ars blog and uh, What's-His-Face, James, chatted about this today in terms of, you know, when have we signed such an expensive player and the manager not been committed to use him? I do think this is slightly different. So I, here's my basic thesis. I don't think there's an issue with the manager. I don't think this is a statement of where Chaka's position in the team will be in the future. I think it's an evolution. I think the first thing you got to accept is Chaka is 23 and... Uh, the manager did talk about it. What what were the words he used? Experience and strength. Strength and experience. <clears throat> okay. Uh, well, he, he has strength, but maybe he doesn't quite have... It, it, when you compare him against either one of these players, uh, you know, they both offer something in terms of a mobility and coverage that maybe a Chaka hasn't in some of his games. Um, and I think it tells us mostly what Arson's house Arson saw this this match against United. Uh, I thought your summary, your sarcastic tongue in cheek uh, lead in to the program, which I normally find offensive and, and quite honestly rubbish. I thought then it's today working. was yeah. <laughs> well done. I thought it was actually if you pull out all the humor, which wouldn't take very long, uh, it was actually a very good summary of the game, which was for all those people who criticize Wenger that he will no longer play ugly or play tactical or just get a result, um, I think that's exactly what he did. I think he came here to Old Trafford. I'm, I'm doing an Elliot here. But anyway, he came there to Old Trafford to get a result, as in a point. And I don't think he felt very good going into this match in terms of who was available, what shape they were in what his options were what the the impact of the couple of injuries he had and i think he took a calculated decision to play safe and that was his place safe midfield i think long-term chaka is still uh assuming he performs to the abilities we all think he should have and the manager must have thought he had I think he's still going to be the man. But without Santi at the moment and with Chaka still finding his feet because he's 23 and it's the Premier League and a few other things, mm -hmm. it just hasn't quite knitted as quickly as he wanted. Yeah. Uh, I think the other factor when we talk about the 34, 35 million quids um, and the comment, you know, Ars blog chatting about this today, um, 
Wenger cares more what a player costs in wages. Oh no, no, than, no. Than I, I get it. That, look, I did. I that was but, a throwaway but, line, Paul. That yeah, wasn't yeah, really yeah. the no, thrust no. of my. I mean, what I meant is more that he is. He does appear to be every bit what that price tag indicates in terms of his just his quality and caliber of play. Yeah, but uh, this isn't so much aimed at you. Um, you hear the comment quite a bit, and, and there's a lot to it. I mean, if you buy an expensive player, you're going to play him. You're going to expect to play him. I think unless the two he's Henrik Mkhitaryan. Yeah, exactly. Unless you just wanted to stop us getting him. I don't yeah. know if we really in for or pay off his agent. You know, I've heard it both ways. True, true. <clears throat> so uh, you know, I think the two factors are: he's young, he's going to develop further. So this is not this is not the final judgment. And secondly. Uh, Arson would have been mostly interested to make sure he fat, fit, fitted in within our pay scale. And so he was affordable from a wages standpoint because he's young, developing, and he's talented. So um, I think that was, you know, that's that's why Arson bought an expensive player and isn't playing him all the time. His wages are reasonable, and that allows him to fit into our structure uh, at a reasonable level. And, and Arson's about managing the team esprit de corps, you know, the pay structure, the people thinks things are fair. That's the bigger factor for him than the fact that he maybe paid a lot of money to get the guy in in the first place. Yeah, and look, there are some mitigating factors here. I mean, if you want to just sort of forgive everything, you could say early kickoff, you could say coming back from international break, you can say all of the things that can lead to this being a damp squid Um are there dry squids? Um, damn squid. I know. Anyway, but so I get it. It's hard to analyze, right? Maybe he looked at Shaka and felt he came back not with the energy he needed from international break. Maybe he felt that the team as a whole wasn't in the shape to play the football they needed to coming back from international break, so he adjusted his plan. We, we can't know those things, so we can only base it off what we do know. What I would say is, and and for the love of God, I really wish that we didn't have to have this Be the Cock Vision podcast. By the way, do not look that up. Um, but it, it just winds up being that because he is that lightning rod and, and choosing Cocklin over Shaka leads to a certain style of play. What I thought didn't work on this occasion, and if you look at the pass map from this game that 11 Tang and 11 does on, on Twitter... Cochran was basically bypassed. He basically did not exist in the passing game. And you look at the statistics, he played 32 passes in his 79 minutes, the fewest of any outfield player aside, uh, no, sorry, including Carl Jenkins. And so Theo Walcott played more passes than Cochran, who is Theo, and I don't mean that because he's a bad player. He's just notoriously not a heavy involvement player. Um, Walcott played more passes. Jenkinson played more passes. Uh, Nacho Monreal played more passes. The point is, this is one of your central midfielders, and he was just being bypassed, and that creates such a challenge to be penetrative and vertical and to to stitch things together and circulate the ball. And if you look at the pass map, Ramsey dropped really deep. We lost all our width. We lost the options up front, and we just looked like we were playing either without an idea of how to build the attack or with the idea not to build the attack. Now, maybe the plan was we're going to be more conservative. We're going to sit our central midfielders further back than we have been. We're not going to press higher up the pitch. And we're going to look for counterattacking opportunities when United come on to us. But Jose Mourinho is not going to give Arsenal counterattacking opportunities. There's just no 
way that's going to happen, and it didn't really happen. Um, and so we didn't have any real sense of how to build the attack. Uh, Mohamed Elneny, I thought, moved the ball relatively well. He did manage to pick out Ozil a decent amount of times, but Ramsey was so deep, there was very there were very few options for Ozil. Theo even played a little deeper than he normally would. There was no overlapping by the fullbacks. Uh, if you look at the heat maps and the, the passing positions for Jenkinson and Monreal, they did not overlap a lot. So things just bogged down, um, and, and there just was not a lot of fluency in the Could attack. I throw in a thought or two on that? I, I mean, you you probably should, because at this point I'm not sure why I'm still talking. So, yeah, I would recommend it. <laughs> so I think that's all right. That's all correct. Um, and I had much more trouble with this during the game than when I went back and looked at it. Sorry. Um, so <clears throat> mm-hmm. let me defend the manager in this sense, because I had a big problem with it the first time round. And then Second I'm going to tell round, you why I don't think he deserves the defense, but you, you start with the defense. Yeah. Um, so I think it worked okay in the first half. Um, all the things you said are true, but those aren't the other w- only ways to get things done. But wasn't the first um, half kind of a nothing half period? No, Just like, okay. no, no. Um, though that was how I felt about it at the time, so maybe it really was. I mean, just um, so you know, before Giroud's header, our XG for the game was like 0.2 or something. Yeah, but it's so, and I think that's fair. Um, bec- our XG not only s- sucked as a number, it st- sucked when you watched the game, and we, we just didn't. Uh, I, I, I'm going to have to look up that clock, uh, clock quote from a couple of years ago with BVB when they were like shite. Uh, in one of the games, just like we were. Um, and his point was, when basically talking about XG or or chances or no shots on goal, was the pass before the final pass was missing all game. And you're like, well, well, th- isn't that like the game? But he has a point. And that was I definitely think, the case in this in this situation. Yeah. But I think it was a, a problem of his own making because of the midfield he chose. So... Um, there are other ways to get things done. So in the first half, what we were doing, in my opinion, was we were distributing through the center backs and we used Mustafi and uh, I'm going to call him Squadron from now on because I think that's a cool name. We were using Squadron to distribute from the back primarily. I think he got the ball, you know, uh, 10 times for every three times Koscielny got it from He played 80 passes, by far the most in the team. The next closest was uh, El Nenny with 61 and Ozil with 58. So you are correct. And, and, and they he, weren't just the side. To, I mean, of course, the center backs are going to knock it to each other a bit. But, I mean, just a passing memory of the game will tell you that he frequently moved upfield and distributed. And that worked well in the first half. I think Man United adjusted in the second half and put much more pressure on the centre-backs. And to me, that was the big difference between the two halves. But we were actually we actually moved the ball quite well in the first half, uh, all the way up until the final third. And I think uh, United were fairly defensive and got, got players back quickly. Um, but it was actually a pretty open first half. They had the more deadly chances. But we actually kind of dictated the play for most of it. I kind of broke it down into periods of play. For much of it, our game plan was actually working in the first half, despite all the flaws you reference, which I think are real. I don't think Ramsey had a good game at all, but, you know, he was a guy. We'll come on to Ramsey, because there's a lot of questions as to why he didn't perform. Um, But but let's come on to that in just a minute. 
Yeah, I, I mean, to me, he was a player playing out of position, out of the position in which he plays out of position. And clearly that didn't work. But by the end of the first half, if I were the manager, I would think, well, the basic game plan to compete in midfield is going okay. I, I'm not quite sure how I fix my what's happening in the final third and, and getting more players forward. I mean, the flaw is it was pulling Sanchez back and Ozil back into less attacking positions, blah, blah, blah. But we were competing in midfield. We were kind of dictating the play for a lot of it. So I kind of understood why he went with this 11 uh, in the first half. My bigger issue will be that when United made their adjustments and put us in trouble in the second half, basically by... Uh, cutting off any distribution from the two centre-backs, we didn't adjust. And, you know, the goal that came, we were kind of drumming our fingers, waiting for the goal to come. But this is not how I'd want us to set up. Uh, This is not my preferred first eleven. But actually, I kind of get what he was doing in the first half. He could have tweaked it better. He could have structured it a little better. But it wasn't actually a complete... um, uh, washout in the first half in terms of us imposing our game. We just have to kind of suck in the final third. Well, you just make it so easy. I think what happens with you, because look, United have a lot of talent. They may have problems as a team, but they do have a lot of talent. Um, and I think once the team realizes, well, Ramsey's dropping deep and Coughlin can't play the pass that's going to hurt us. And El Nenny is, you know, looking to be a little bit more conservative and sitting deeper. And Alexis is having to come deep as a result. And suddenly you start to say, where is the where are the pain points and that creates i think a confidence in the team that that they can attack and they can come at us and not have to be as concerned about what we're doing when we have the ball i, I just think we made it so easy for them and and this would be my criticism of the setup i i think if you're going to win a title you have to get 3 points in games where other teams will get one or no points and if you said, we're going to get a draw at Liverpool, at United, at Chelsea, at City, and at Spurs, most people would say that's fantastic. I would say you're not winning a title that way. Um, and I realize you don't win a title by beating the top four. You win a title by beating up on everybody else. But what I'm saying is, think about it. Five matches, five draws. If you win two and lose three, you still have one more point. It may not feel great losing three games, but two wins make up for all of those draws. So to me, this is a game where you start Shaka, where you you play a little more aggressively, and you try to impose yourself on a defensive group of players that, that look vulnerable, at least on paper, and you say, if we lose, we lose, but this is three points we can get. And it's three points worth going for. Draws cost you. <laughs> it's the draws that cost you the titles. And so, but, but, but. yeah. Mourinho's won a lot of titles specifically by going to the big clubs and getting a draw and setting up for a draw and maybe pinching it at the end. I mean, you know, had the game played out a little differently, we might have, you know, we might have been in a position to, instead of go level at the end, pinch it. So You say uh, that, but uh, like if you look at the last title he won, Paul, like they, they got out to a very, very fast start and then they just kind of crawled over the line. I think had there been a had there been sure, a stalking that weird, horse though. that season that that could have maintained it, the pressure, I think they would have they would have capitulated. Um granted, but but for the most of his career he would be known as a guy 
who would take a tactical point away from home against the big teams and sometimes turn that into three points by frustrating them. Um, I, I, and, I agree and, and I disagree. And, I, I think that that is a stereotype. Hand, Go ahead. Well, it, it's a stereotype that's often true. Well, I mean, I but you're still talking think, about a Chelsea team that set the has the record for the most points earned in a, in a Premier League season. Sure, that was a weird season, though. I mean, he just they took off like a train. Why wouldn't that when you're playing that well, and uh, and nothing's going wrong? Why wouldn't you go away to a big club and try and win? You're winning all the time. So that one was kind of weird. You look at most of his seasons, uh, win winning the title or not, he'll generally go to a big club and be quite happy. You know, he he looked like he fucking stole the cheese when he's been interviewed after words if he'd got the results the way we did uh, on Saturday he would have been absolutely fucking chuffed and he's not going to be close to a title at the end of the season either I, I just look I guess my point is there are a, there's a huge benefit to getting three points away at big clubs because there are three points other clubs won't get and you know you get a couple of of losses you can make up for that with one win in a game that that other you know, other teams are drawing all the time. So sure, I guess sure, it just but, begs but the question, why why be so conservative? What what was what was there about United that said we have to shut up shop, we have to play conservatively, we have to we have to play in a manner that, that gives us very little chance of coming away with three points? Because of his starting hand on the day. I mean, it wasn't ideal. In terms of a couple of key uh injuries he has, you know, Bellerin kinda uh, wipes out that whole right side. I mean, uh, Jenkinson just that is isn't a big going problem. to get forward. I agree, I agree with that. That is a big, uh, big problem for us going forward because Bellerin is, is a, such a two-way player. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the, we, we could talk about – let's keep the Theo conversation short today, but that didn't help Theo particularly. It didn't help anybody. And then the Santi issue, which I think – is a much the much bigger issue because we that really does play into the overall conversation of what's our midfield without Santi. Well, I, I, I would say so you're far, very strong. So far, point, the only particularly player when when you talk about the championship going for the championship. I mean, that's a big freaking deal. And what is our answer? Well, I I would just say that so far the only player that for, that seems to be able to make using Coughlin work really well is Santi because he's yeah. so good because he can. Both beat players off the dribble. He can drop deep to receive. He can get in advanced positions to create. Uh, he's he's such a unique, uniquely talented player in both halves of the pitch um, that he seems to offset some of the limitations of Coughlin. I think there really is a question now of whether Francis Coughlin is is still a fit for the way we want to play. And the thing that I think is interesting, Paul, is you know we've talked a lot about he's the chaos creator. He what he's done this season, he has not been a shield. He has not been a sit-deep-and-defend player. He has been used as a sword. Go forward, fly into tackles, win the ball high up the pitch, create that chaos where then things can break to us. We didn't use him that way uh, on Saturday, and then you really saw the limitations because when he is just sitting at the midfield stripe, not being used as a sword, there's very little he does. Now, to, to his credit, he's still filled up the stat sheet on the defensive side, seven tackles, two interceptions, four clearances, but... He you know, had a good game. He just he, he, he had just, a he, defensively solid game, but when yeah. one of your central midfielders has played the fewest passes of any player on the pitch, I would suggest that at best you've been playing for a nil-nil. Well, 
uh, we were certainly playing for a tight match and for a draw. And the fewest passes yeah. of any outfield player. I mean, you, you ideally, I don't think you sure. want your one of your midfielders, especially in a team that that values possession in the passing game and builds up through the passing game, not long ball or set pieces. That's not a good sign for how you're going to... And, you know, that that's why when you say, well, Ozil had an off game or Alexis had an off game I, or, or Theo, you just, you're creating so few angles and lanes for those balls to come into those players. Look, I fully agree. Um, the, the burden shifts to Elneny and to Ramsey, and that's why the getting Ramsey into the team made sense so okay. they could drop into midfield. Okay, so let's talk uh, Ramsey uh, for a second. Unless you had a, a final point there on Coughlin. Yeah, I'll just quickly say on Coughlin, he did his job on the day. I mean, nobody should be surprised that he wasn't splitting the defense, their defense with passes and that he wasn't looking to get on the ball all the time. He did his part of the job. The problem is the manager doesn't, having a, doesn't have a working partnership beyond Santi that can pick up the slack. And on the day, it made sense. I think... He, he played his part on the day, uh, but it does leave uh, a significant burden for that other player or players. And Elneny is not being as aggressive and adventurous a midfielder as we'd like him to be. And But, but as uh, what I would say to that is, as your second or third choice midfielder, who's meant to be a squad player who can rotate in and still be at a reasonably high, high level... It's such a challenge to have this player who plays no passes and has no verticality to his game and say to Elneny, now all of that burden falls on you to recycle possession, to link the play, to play and vertically. so we use the centre-backs, and so you yeah. use Bell- Bellerin mm-hmm. to get forward. That's why I say, your point's fine about going to United, you know, why would we settle for a draw? At this particular time, with the cards the manager had in front of him, going for a draw at United given how damaging a loss would have been and our loss of an unbeaten run, it made sense to me. Right, and I'm the just saying... Half, okay. first half was okay. Coquelin's not ideal. He wouldn't be in my starting 11. I think he had a good game for what was on his list of things to do for the game, uh, but it's not ideal from an overall team structure and passing game. Okay, look, we're, we're roughly the same there. I, I think yeah, you know, I if, if we're going into a two-legged tie with Barcelona and we're going to Barcelona in the first leg and he wants to play Francis Coughlin because he expects we're going to be pinned in our half and he needs someone who can make seven tackles and four interceptions and and you know isn't going to get... Uh, and match the fig- physicality of, of a Pogba so he yeah. doesn't do to us what Dembele did, even though it was Coughlin. Well, it was Coughlin who got, who got owned by Dembele. Yep. But, but, but you know what is interesting? Like, I'll give you the perfect example. There was a play, I think, in the first half where Coughlin did an amazing job tracking back and kicked yep. away across, made the, the, the absolutely critical intervention at the last minute. That That is Coughlin's quality that I don't think... Granit Xhaka is necessarily in that position, although he showed against Spurs, I think that he has more to his defensive game than we had been giving him credit for. I don't think an Aaron Ramsey in central midfield makes that play. Um, it's just, I think in the league, three points is is so important. One point is almost as as bad as a loss to win a title. No, I, no, no, I, no, I, no. I think Not it yesterday. is. Not Saturday against Old Trafford when you have an unbeaten run against Mourinho. It would be pretty devastating to the morale. Um, oh, morale, Give, sure, but but when, just given, purely on numbers, Paul. At the end of the day, 
if we beat United at home and draw away, we got four points. That's the way it works. No, I know. And and I'm not saying it's a terrible result. I'm saying I think playing for draws in the league is a bad idea. I think even away at City, we should play playing for the for three points. Playing for draws is not something we do very often. No, but we so, did on the day. It would be my argument. Yeah, and we should applaud it because sometimes that's what you got to do. So How you're on the discretion is the better part of our side of this one. Yeah, occasionally. How okay. often did he get slated for the arrogance of going to wherever and trying to outplay it? You know, th- this is the one time we should say bravo. Now, we sucked in the second half. That's the problem with this. Yeah. But ha- had we maintained our performance into the second half, I'd be, I'd be like, fuck off. Well, this That's is where I'd identity like. – look, I think this is where identity comes into it too because when you put players on the pitch who are used to playing attacking football, slick passing – move the ball quickly, create lots of chances, you know, and, and to be fair, give up a decent amount of chances. Um, and you tell them, we're just kind of kind of spoil the occasion, guys. I think it's hard for them to focus on playing that way for a long time. You know, if you're Sunderland, if, well, Sunderland might be a bad example, but, you know, if, if you're West Brom and you're used to trying to play for nil-nils in 75% of your games all season – you can be focused for 90 minutes on doing that. I think top clubs struggle to focus for 90 minutes on playing, on spoiling games. Um, and I think that's ultimately why Mourinho, you know, struggled with, with Chelsea because I, I think, you know, you look at Eden Hazard, for example, right now, he wants to be skipping past players and firing shots in the near post. He doesn't want to be tracking back. Um, so I, I think our level dropped in part because just the energy wasn't there in the attacking half and it led to maybe just a lethargy that crept into the game. And of course, that's narrative because the lethargy may have also crept into the game because it's an early kickoff following international break, very limited training. Um, you know, I think and- it was because United adjusted to our distribution from the centre-backs in the second half and we didn't make that next chess move uh, to tweak yes. so, what we were doing. So let's talk about Aaron Ramsey. And before we talk about his mm-hmm. performance, um, which I thought was was poor, but I think the bigger question is, is this the problem we're going to have? Because Alex Awobi, while he's been a little uneven, has really been a revelation in terms of improving the way we build up, the speed of our attack, adding extra verticality, um, finding those pockets of space, the half space on the left side of the pitch where he exchanges passes with Alexis and Ozil and, and the central midfielders. And that's really been a big part of our renewed attacking verve and he lost his place on the day to Aaron Ramsey and the question is really is Aaron Ramsey a player whose ego and whose stature imposes itself on the manager's decision was Aaron Ramsey selected because he's Aaron Ramsey or because he's genuinely the player who should be starting well I think there's probably a bit of that but uh, I don't think enough for that to have been the story for a couple of seasons now. Uh, I think the manager rates him highly. Um, I'm not saying he's not a talented player, by the way, but but no. my question is, you know, we, we had this argument almost a month or two ago saying, does Aaron Ramsey walk back in the squad? And you had said, Aaron Ramsey's going to have to earn his way back in. It's a Wobie's place to keep for right now. So my question is, is Aaron yeah. Ramsey earning his way back in or is Aaron Ramsey just big-leaguing his way back in. <laughs> um, I think there's a bit of both, but I think, obviously, the manager's long-term assessment is this is for the greater good because he's a player he does want to find a, a, an answer for in the eleven. And to be fair, Awobi 
from when we had that conversation, Awolvi's kind of cooled off a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit. You're absolutely and, right. And Ramsey's had to wait a few games too. Um, so, you know, it's kind, it's kind of as we discussed. Um, it, the, here's the issue with Ramsey. He doesn't fit Arsene's 4-2-3-1. He just doesn't. Um, he's, a player without a posi- he's a player without a position in, in our current setup? In our current setup. Now, maybe... Why can't he Jack play in that Awobi position? I mean, he has all the traits to sit on the edge of the box, to exchange intricate passes, to make secondary runs, to score from range, to, to, to feed runners into the box. Is it just he wants to be a central midfielder and that's where he goes? Kind of like when Theo used to get criticized for not staying wide because he, he yeah. thought he should play through the center. I mean, why can't... Ramsey excel in the in the position that Awobi has. I've heard a lot of people say you can't judge him because he's being played out of position. I can't see any quality of of Ramsey's that would prevent him from thriving in the, in the position Awobi's been playing in. Yeah, and certainly on the right hand side, and he's done to me. He's done pretty well on the right hand side. The, I've yet to see him. I know there's the there's that sepia imaged uh, photo in our minds of when he used to play. Uh, alongside Arteta, but that was a long time ago. Uh, and well, and it's so crowded by just the different. ridiculous goal-scoring form he was on that season that I think it's hard to really evaluate his yeah. performances outside of that because everything he touched turned to goals. And I remember the discussion at the time. I mean, his form at the start of it was brilliant. Uh, his form cooled off a little bit, but the goals kept coming. I remember people saying if you pulled out the goals uh, in the latter part of that run, his form wasn't that brilliant in terms of how he played. So, you know, there's a bit more nuance to it. I'm not trying to devalue uh, Ramsey. I think he's a great player. Um, I just haven't seen him for a long time performing as a central midfielder in Arsenal, at Arsenal with our setup. Maybe Chaka and Ramsey will be the answer. But Is I- he going to try that? I mean, is that what you think the yeah. progression is here? I mean, now it, it, Santi Cazorla is going to see a specialist and... This could be the thing That's that derails right. us because it seems like yep. he's been the one the one player for a couple seasons now. We just can't seem to find a solution for replacing. But is is the iteration of the midfield that ultimately the manager wants to move us towards Ramsey and Shaka? I think he'd love it to be. I think he has his fingers crossed that it is, but um I, I just don't see it. So and he's smarter than what me. What don't you so. see? What can, in your opinion, what would be the reason that doesn't work? I just, I mean, neither of those two have covered themselves in glory in terms of holding the fort. Um, Shaka's second half against Spurs, I thought, was sort of yeah. revelatory. Yeah. So uh, I don't, it's not that I think there's no hope for it. Um, I'm sure, like you, me, the manager is praying that when those two guys get together, they kind of divide the responsibilities appropriately. But you can see what the risk is. Uh, Ramsey's best bombing forward. Uh, he's not the safest, most technically secure passer. Uh, he's not a great distributor from deep. So it, it will put some pressure on us. Um, but, he, you know, his real value is bombing forward, um, which works for maybe two-thirds of a game. But there's a period in the game where he's going to get caught upfield, and depending on who the players are around him, that could work or it could be a problem. So, again, these solutions, we look at two players, teams are complex systems. There are other ways of providing the cover. You don't actually have to change 
a 4-2-3-1 by very much. A tweak here and a tweak there, and you're practically playing a 3-5, how many left? Two. Uh, <laughs> j- just just kind of rotating the kind of dividing who stays forward in the full backs versus who, you know, you can do some tweaks, but it seems like we'd have to do a pretty big tweak to make sure we're covered at the back. I mean, we had Coquelin El Nenny, and when you look at their goal, I, I, Coquelin was at least on his toes and trying to do something. It was, he was uh, at full speed chasing Rooney. There were three or four other players who didn't cover that cutback into the middle. So it is always a team game. And uh, so if we can find a combination that supports those two, great. But, you know, it, it, it's a big ask because one of those guys likes to get bummed forward. That's his, that's his value to a team. He's the joker. He, he'll play tricks. He'll play risky passes upfield looking for a one-two under pressure. And he, he actually did that against United quite a bit and almost all of them got intercepted or cut out mm-hmm. um, but he was playing from an unfamiliar position with unfamiliar players around him I don't know if we can pull that off and and so where I do have concern for our full season rather than looking at this as a one-off game is that the question we're all scratching our heads on what formulation of the midfield and if we can't see a good formulation of the midfield as it is without Santi then you've got to tweak the formation or change the formation. Yeah, I, I guess the the problem for me with Ramsey also is there's there's so many issues here. There's whether there's a position that's appropriate for him to play. There's also what the player's attitude is too, right, Paul? I mean, you know, we, we yeah. don't like to give in to gossip and rumor, but like he doesn't have a picture of himself wearing an Arsenal shirt on his social media. <laughs> he doesn't tweet about the team on social media. We have people who are, you know, fairly in the know, at least from what we can tell, who say he was agitated this summer and there were actually discussions about leaving the club and he wants to be a central midfielder and he's not getting to play there and I I do just wonder if this is a player who is a superstar for his country who thinks he should be a superstar for his club um, who probably sees himself as right there with the best players like Ozil and Alexis and that it's it's outrageous that he's not just playing in his preferred position and you, you have to wonder at some level is that impacting how he's performing on the pitch. He, he does seem a little cavalier at times. I mean, he was <clears throat> dispossessed five times on the day, which is really poor, including two unsuccessful touches. So, you know, seven times that, that he turned the ball over. And, I, you know, I mean, Alexis routinely turns the ball over a lot, but your center forward, you can tolerate that happening. Someone who is dropping as deep into the midfield as Ramsey was, it, it can be more of a problem. Um yeah, but I, here's what I'd say about – so I think that that could all be true, uh, including the kind of the, the psycho-babble piece of it could very, very well be true. Um, it could also be just as true that like any big club where players are fighting to get into the starting 11, into the, in the position they like to play while they have an international career on the line and occasional flirtations from big clubs, other big clubs – uh, you're going to get some unrest in a few players. I have no problem with the fact that he maybe thought about his future at Arsenal in the summer. He should do. Um, I'm delighted he's still here. Um, but that's fine. There are lots of good players who have to prove themselves over and over again. His big, fr- biggest frustration might be ours. It might be 
how we set up no longer quite suits who he is as a player as opposed to anything beyond that. But he's still, uh, to me, he's an arrogant guy and he's a humble guy. He's both of those things. I think when he pulls on the shirt to play, um, that's when I care where he's wearing the shirt. I never see anything less than 100% from him. Maybe he's just too caught up thinking about elephants, you know? Perhaps so. Could be. So uh, I think he needs a better setup for him to really shine, or he needs to play on the right. And Walcott's been too strong until maybe arguably recently. I don't think th- Walcott's lost form, you, but no, he hasn't you, had the kinds of games where well, uh, we're you could coming say off he's what? untouchable. I, I mean, you know, Spurs at home and United away, I, I think it's a little unfair to judge, and I also thought he was actually pretty good in, in yeah. the Spurs game. I think the fact of the matter is Aaron Ramsey has every quality you would need to ape the Awobi role effectively and arguably better than Awobi. The fact that he's not doing it, the fact that he, well, I say not doing it. We've seen one game, and it was an away game where he may have been instructed to sit deeper and come into midfield more and support Elneny and Coughlin. So who knows? But there was, sure. there was no he whip. May only He may only be able to do the Awobi role from the right-hand side. I mean, the manager talked about Perez only having kind of a view of the left field. You know, not everything is immediately transferable for all players to all sides. No, He's a right-footed it. player. I get it. I, I mean, here's the thing also. It, it's so hard to understand not understand, but evaluate things from this game because there were so many strange things about it. The midfield selection, the fact that we were integrating Carl Jenkinson, the fact that neither fullback really overlapped, which we had no width whatsoever. Everything funneled right to Ozone Alexis in the center of the pitch. And it was a very, very easy problem for United to solve. And that was borne out by the fact that we just didn't create anything. And that's Um, why I think the manager decided to be conservative on the day. Look, and, and I mean, Carl Jenkinson, you know, God love him. I mean, he completed 60% of his passes, which is abominable. But, you know, he managed to not get dispossessed. He managed to not turn the ball over uh, in terms of just losing the ball in dangerous positions. And Martial was a zero for the game. He was horrible. I mean, in terms of Absolutely impact. horrible and was not found with the ball at all. I mean, to be fair, uh, he did flash uh, a shot. Yeah, of, he had that, two that, shots that actually ch- on check, check one yeah. after the other. You know, and I, I think we should say this. It is so easy to be frustrated by a performance that I thought was insipid, and I will fully acknowledge I thought it was an insipid performance that even at full time with the the exhilaration of the draw, I was just so aggravated that a team that has so much attacking flair and capability couldn't show it even with the players on the pitch. But there is, you know, when, when you go to Old Trafford and you get a great performance from your goalkeeper and your center backs, they deserve a round of applause. I mean, Koscielny and Mustafi I thought were pretty great. I thought, you know, Mustafi is really developing into a special kind of player with He's the ball at his feet. Yep. Um, and, and Czech was brilliant. And we, yep. we should be sure to appreciate those performances when they happen because it is so easy to be frustrated that Shaq was on the bench and we didn't create the chances and the attacking players didn't perform the way we'd like, but there there should be credit where it's due. And I think the center of our, our defense, the Koscielny, Mustafi, Czech axis is something that we've been crying out for for a long time. And I, I feel relieved not to have that pa- that sense of panic with them back there. Now... I- and can add one thing quickly to that, sure, which is the number of crosses that we def- aerial crosses that we defended in that game. We won everything. We won every header. Now there were some balls in for, that really good balls put in by them into the six-yard box. Maybe not such a good story, uh, but that c- 
kind of comes down to who's closing them down on the wings. But in terms of our aerial defence, our centre-backs against United at Old Trafford, I mean, there was really just the one chance, the Rojo chance, and I don't think you can put that particularly on the centre-backs. I think overall, that was one part of the game we should be uh, quite heartened about. Mustafi Um, won eight aerial duels. I mean, you know, for a guy who I've had questions about in the air, he handled his business. I mean, I think it was helped that they didn't have... Zlatan Ibrahimovic won on the a few. Day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Coughlin won one, yep. I mean, I I think you you can praise the defensive side of the performance even if you're frustrated with the attacking part of the performance, and that's, that's what I just... Sure. You know, I think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that that is a silver lining. Now... We did now, rescue. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Well, I was going to say we did I, rescue a point. So let's let's come let's come on to that. And well, just before that, because we're talking about defense, I'd like to ask you a question. Sure. Uh, our left back. Discuss. I mean, it's difficult because I think Nacho Monreal is a steady player who clearly just cannot seem to handle pacey wide players right now he's he's really seems to be very challenged with that and I don't know if it's just you know he's 30 now and and he's played a lot of football and he's lost a step I don't know if it's that he's exposed because we know Alex Awobi doesn't cover back a lot and I don't think Aaron Ramsey was particularly helpful on the day I mean he he made two tackles he had no interceptions uh, one clearance, no block shots. I, yeah, I just, it's hard for me to evaluate in isolation. Um, we've seen Gibbs get pretty badly roasted himself. I don't know that we have. Not often. What was that? Not often. Not for pace. Not for, for pace. pace. No. 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 Um, but I just, I do wonder if, if we're in a weird situation where maybe we don't quite have. We have two. If you have two left backs, you don't have one. You know what I mean? Like we, we have a pacier, young, energetic uh, left back in Gibbs, who maybe positionally is not as good as Nacho, and we have, I think, a positionally pretty good, uh, all-around adequate left back in Nacho Monreal, who maybe is losing a step, and that's causing him to be a little more vulnerable. to, to pacey wingers. I, I don't know. I don't know if we have a solution to that position. I would say that I would take both of them, a player of either of their quality, to have it right back right now to cover Bellerin. Because if we're going to obsess about fullback, I think the fullback to be obsessing about is Carl Jenkinson getting a regular run in the side. I like Carl Jenkinson. I think he's you know a great story because he is an Arsenal fan and that's adorable. Um, he He is not at the level that an Arsenal player should be. And I don't think he's even at the level that a backup Arsenal player should be. And if there's a fullback position I'm going to really fret over right now, it's it's right back. Yeah, except all of our pain seems to, despite all that, still keep coming down. The When you think about it, which don't wing tempt should... Fate. Don't tempt fate, Paul. <laughs> which wing should we have experienced all the pain on? Well, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is if you look at the pass map, you would have thought Martial would have caused us a lot of problems. He just didn't get the ball much. Now you could say, well, that's because of Carl Jenkinson, but that's just not how the pattern of play developed. He was just very isolated and did not, yeah, but did not make they himself had available. Three very intelligent players in midfield, uh, four, depending on who you count in that mix, and they knew where to spray the ball. 
uh, they got continual joy down our left flank. Yeah. It just did. Well, remember also, El Nenny is a very left side dominant player. Also, I think that our if you look at the heat maps and you look at the positions of our central midfielders, Ramsey dropped deep into the left side of midfield, but both Coughlin and El Nenny were helping over to to Jenkinson's side, which may have helped deny the the lanes and the the passing opportunities for Martial to receive the ball. So there may have been an instruction to really give him that support. Um which further yeah. exposed Monreal. Bit, of a, bit of a pattern, though, th- this season. I mean, it's interesting that I I think Marshall wasn't involved, and it'd be interesting to kind of dive into the, the video again and see why that was. But I think if if you had to say to me, we're, if you said to me we're going to have problems down a flank over the next four or five weeks, I still think I'd be very worried about that that right the, flank. The good news was Bellerin had a little time off with his injury to catch up on his like paperwork and stuff. Yeah, six and, and a half years, is mail. that right? Yeah, he, he got around to uh, sorting out his contract, that's so great. that's good. That's great. It, it softens the blow of losing both Alexis and Ozil, which is great. Yeah. Um, okay, so let, let's quickly, uh, before we wrap up, talk about the end of the game. And Olivier Giroud, it's funny. I never wanted him to be our starting <laughs> center forward, but I always thought that Olivier Giroud had the quality to be an important player for Arsenal. I said, if he's not our first choice center forward, I think he's a very valuable player. And he, while probably not wanting to be a backup or a, or an option off the bench, is thriving in that role. That header he's digging was... a mighty big hole for himself in the <laughs> plan B off the well, bench. Well, this is what it? I wanted to ask you, because I that header was absolutely spectacular. The delivery yep. by Oxlade-Chamberlain deserves credit as well for a player who has not been a favorite of mine, certainly, and I don't think is having the season we would have liked. His delivery was just what was called for. I mean, he he showed that burst of pace. When the, the the interesting thing about Ox, and I've said this to you, Paul, if you bring him on for Theo, it makes sense to me because he can stay wide, hug the touchline, and and add the width to the attack. If you bring him in instead of a Wobi, it makes less sense because that player has been used more to s- recycle possession and stitch things together and create that verticality in the passing game. Ox is the purest winger at the club right now. And his most effective contributions come when he's hugging the touchline, using his pace, and delivering. And and he did it brilliantly, and Giroud climbed imperiously to head it in. The question I have for you is, as great as he has been as a super sub, I'd still argue our best starting 11 is without him in it so we have that mobility from the start. Do you worry at all that this goal-scoring streak he's on now is going to lead the manager to rethink starting him from the beginning in matches? Got to find a way. Is he going to get a starting position back? Goals. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's certainly a risk if you want to look at it like that. And, yeah, and I know. Uh, by the uh, way, I realize the ridiculousness of saying is Giroud scoring too much <laughs> that he's now going to get the starting job back. I mean, arguably he deserves it, but. He's so good in the substitute role, and we have, apart from this game, been so good with the mobile front line. Is there a, an argument that this scoring streak Giroud is on might lead to us reverting back to him as the, as the starting center forward? I hope not. I don't think so. I think you see enough in the manager's comments that he recognizes the problem he has but values the mobility we come with. But I still think there's going to be a lot of games like... Arguably, uh, the Saturday game was a game Giroud probably should, well, might have p- 
probably should have started. He, um, you know, he could have had more impact against their centre backs. Blah blah blah. But then we get back into that that situation where we're frustrated with our lack of mobility. So I think he'll get. I still go with my theory. He'll get plenty of starts this year, but he'll be still Plan B. Uh, in the games he doesn't and plan B when he does start. I mean, we'll be doing it because it makes sense at that point in the season. Form, injury, freshen things up or it works against that opposition and the manager wants to give him... The manager will clearly want to give him a number of starts because for the overall health of his mentality and the team's mentality, Olivier Giroud is not going to sit on the bench for 38 games in the season. He's just not. So the manager will have to find some balance. I think he's going to lean heavily on Alexis as his starter. And I think that's pretty reasonable. You know, a, a, a few games where Giroud starts and Alexis uh, is rested, comes off the bench for 30 or 20. I'm dreaming. Okay. Alexis starts from, from the left because the manager couldn't nail him to the bench. Would not be the end of the world. I just don't want to see it too often. So I think that's what we're likely to see. And then between, you know, the attrition of any normal season, I think Giroud will get uh, not as many games as he wants, but enough games. Yeah. And he has certainly earned the right to be considered for a starting role with the way he has played. It's just that I, I think in particular, Alexis Sanchez does not play as well when Olivier Giroud starts. And Alexis Sanchez is still our most important or second most important player. And he is in the form of a lifetime for club and country right now, admittedly not at the weekend. And I don't think we want to destabilize that at this point. He's the kind of player you can ride to a title. And I I think we've seen that Giroud is not, not as a starting center forward. Um, Agreed. But, so, but I could, I could, to me, a team that would win the title would have, Giroud as their plan B all day long. All day long. Uh, Didn't uh, didn't City win a title with Edin Dzeko as their plan B? I mean, yeah, yeah. I I don't have a problem with that. He was too. He's. I mean, he's. You know, he's scoring basically with practically his first touch in these games when he comes on. He's fucking lethal. You know, if you want to take some positives out of the game in terms of did we look like a championship winning side at Old Trafford? Well, yes, in that we made a very calculated decision to try and get a point, no matter how lucky we were. Uh, our centre-backs look the level. The goalkeeper looked the level. And fucking Giroud looked the level. Uh, and you seriously underrate Oxlade-Chamberlain because you're missing the big picture. His real role for us is wing-back. Wing-back, yeah. In, in, in a five-man, in a, in a, in a three-man three, uh, three defence. Yeah. Three, four, it's three? kind of like it's kind of like when you try and fix your child who's stolen your your cigarettes or your cigars by making him smoke twenty of them. The way we fix Oxlade Chamberlain for his defensive lapses is we f- play him as a feckin' wing back for the month of December. I'm gonna pass hard pass on that. Okay. Um, so look, I mean, I I think the big question now going forward is how the midfield is going to evolve, and it's going to be fascinating because it doesn't look like we're going to have Santi Cazorla for quite a while. Aaron Ramsey is is clearly here and ready to basically force his way into this side and wants his central midfield rollback that he believes he's he's entitled to. And Granit Xhaka is there, this thirty five million dollar Cadillac of a player who who has done certainly very little to nothing wrong to deserve not to be out there starting. And I just think, and I know Paul, you disagree, but for me, 
if this becomes a title season, it becomes a title season because we evolve away from using Francis Coughlin in midfield, not because he's a bad player, but because I think stylistically and the characteristics of, of us as a team, I think we win a title evolving away from that and towards finding a way to get Granite Shaka and Aaron Ramsey onto the pitch in, in positions where they can succeed. Um, but I agree with that. Okay. Well, good. There you go. Um, real quick, two, two things. I, I want to quickly touch on the PSG game, but before I do, I just want to say this. Last season at this time, Paul, the underlying metrics, as they say, things like expected goal, expected goals against, expected goal difference, had us top of the league, and pretty dominantly so, and the analytics people would tell you Arsenal are going to win the title because their, their underlying yeah, metrics Yeah, we were up to suggested. 70%, 80% probability to win the league. Can Based we on underlying have the trophy metrics. now? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We won the metrics trophy. Um, we fell away pretty badly, and actually, I think by the end of the season, we no longer were top on metrics, and kind of finished right about where we belonged. This season, I believe those same metrics have us around seventh right now, uh, sixth Woo-hoo. or seventh. Um, and so there is a cluster. The underlying metrics have this as a three-horse race, as do the betting uh, sites, by the way, between Liverpool, Chelsea, and City. As you've looked at it now, we're, we're into late November. We've seen a lot of this team. There's still more to come. I mean, Lucas Perez has hardly played. Danny Welbeck could come back. Um you know, Santi Cazorla could come back. There's there's a lot that can still happen, but do you believe you're looking at a title challenge or are those sides maybe just a little bit above where we are right now? Uh, those sides are, I think, significantly above where we are right now. In, in um, performance? Yeah. Certainly in not term- in talent. I don't think you could say that Liverpool, for no. example, has a better squad than we do. No. And that's what, you know, I really do feel with the midfield... We have really good players. We don't have a combination that works for our our uh, structure. We got to tweak the structure. So uh, um, the metrics do match up with with what I'm seeing in terms of. Uh, I don't think they're particularly lying. They don't phase me too much. In that, strangely, they they match to what you see on the pitch. Um, I I'm not worried yet, but. This team, as we're playing at the moment and have played for the last few games, is not a team that wins the league, but things change. So we got to fix our midfield. If we fix our midfield, and I don't know what the answer is, uh, I think we're very much the challenger. And the other good news is we're still right in there. You know, we're level with City. Um, so, you know, there are ebbs and flows in the season. As yet, I don't. Even when we were playing at our best, I didn't think we yet looked like a team that were going to win the league. But that can change. You could, It can click, but it has to click in the midfield. We can't be patching it together. And the frustration for me is that this is one more season, especially after last season, that we only have a, the single pairing that you could see us winning the league with, arguably. Um, and we've yet to... Uh, and certainly a pairing that has to involve Santi Cazorla. Maybe there's a couple of pairings. Maybe Chaka and Santi and Cock and Santi are actually good enough as two pairings to get us there. But they both rely on a player who's, what, 32-ish? 33, maybe even? And came into it with uh, tendon, Achilles tendon issues. And his Achilles tendon hasn't disappointed by disappointing. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's kind of where we are. And, I mean, at some point we are going to have to move past Cazorla because he's not going to be able to play forever. And, 
he is such a special player and, and such a unique player. You could see why it'd be tough to replace him. But I think we're getting into the realm now of having to, at, the, at a minimum, treat him like a player who can play once a week or once every 10 days or so. And at a maximum, maybe have to put him into that that Jack Wilshire zone that he was in, that Jack was in before he left Arsenal, of you just can't count on him playing at all. Um, so let's end with just a quick look ahead to PSG. And I think this is a tough one because if you win this game, it literally does not matter what happens in the next one. You top the group. Oh, cool. So we can win this game and take the last game off. We also, I believe, have Bournemouth at the weekend. Is that right? I believe that's Yeah. Believe that's right. So yeah. what do you do with Alexis, Paul? Do you just play him again at home against PSG and say, you know, if we can win this because then he can rest against Bournemouth, or at least in theory, he can rest in the Capital One Cup, he can rest against Basel because if we beat PSG, we literally do not have to play that match. It does not matter. Whoever wins this wins the group. So is that the plan? Try Push your luck, try him one more time, and then you've got at least two midweek matches plus a weekend match where theoretically you could rest him? I think if this were anybody but Alexis, it'd be a very short conversation. He wouldn't play and he shouldn't play. I don't know what'll happen though. Uh, My team for this game only would be, I'd have Giroud up top. It will be on the left, either Walcott or Ramsey on the right, Ozil in the middle and they play Chaka and Coquelin as my two. Um, But I don't know. Every time you see the team sheet, there's Alexis. So Hmm. he could end up playing with Giroud up front and they kind of take the load off Alexis a little bit that way. Uh, They could leave him on the bench unless they need him for the last 20, but it's hard to get Alexis to sit on a bench. Uh, I guess if I had to bet, He'd start, but I don't think he should in this game. I don't. Okay. I think he should be arrested. It's interesting because this is a game where there is there is absolutely no reason not to go for it. Because granted, losing means you lose. You finish second in the group, which is not the end of the world, especially if you look at how the other groups are playing out. Second could get you a better draw than first, and if you win it, you get the next game off in in the group. So why not just go for it? Um, it'll be interesting to see if this is where the Ramsey Shaka partnership starts, and it's going to be a tough, yeah. high-level, challenging game. But isn't that great? Because in a way, I don't think there's that much at stake in this game in the sense that losing it still yields an acceptable outcome, and winning it yields an excellent outcome. So, like a really good chance to kind of see if that midfield can work against really good, uh, uh, good quality opposition. And I think they might be without Angel Di Maria, who I thought picked up an injury at the weekend. So we'll see. Um, that's all but I got. They, he's, the manager said they were being cautious. Oh, by the way, uh, Unai Emery watches the game four times and has his two assistants watch the games four times. That means the he doesn't, just played. doesn't understand football very much because you only have to watch it twice to get the game. And I obviously understand football four times better because I only have to watch, well, four and a half times better because I only have to watch about three quarters of the game to know all about it. Um, yeah. Anyway, okay, that, I got nothing else, Paul. You good? I'm good. Okay, Paul's on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Uh, be sure to follow him. Paul, thanks for coming on. Pleasure. As always, Tim will be back uh, after the PSG game. There is a chance... I will not be on the PSG pod, um, so I wouldn't strongly recommend downloading or listening to it. Well, download it. Uh, just don't just don't oh listen to no. it. Oh, uh, no. My that name is Elliot Smith. Possibly yep, yep, all everybody's crestfallen. 
Yeah, yep, how could yep. we survive? Yeah, yeah. How, gotcha. How okay. can we continue? Uh, you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Please give us five stars and then write nasty shit in the review area because that is uh, the best way to get people to know. So, oh, five stars. I wonder what this person had to say. And then, boom, you hit them with all the negativity. Anyway, um, so it's a chance to top the group midweek and then draw Barcelona, who will inevitably finish second. You know how these things work. In any case, uh, enjoy the game. For those of you who are um, American or, you know, still willing to admit you're an American, all things considered, uh, if we don't, or if I don't get a chance to talk to you, I certainly wish you a happy Thanksgiving and just a happy life to everybody out there in what is generally a troubling and difficult world. Uh, we will talk to you. <laughs> who indeed. We will talk to you after the next game. Cheers. Enjoy the game.